Welcome to Brigadoon Radio. Brigadoon is the place where entrepreneurs and thought leaders discuss emerging issues shaping commerce and culture. Hey everybody, it's Mark Ross, Brigadoon Radio, our latest episode. We're here with Kate Shepard from the Midlands, outside Leicester, in Leicester, and about two hours north of Buckingham Palace for our friends in the US. How are things going? Yeah, all good, thank you. Yeah, lovely to chat with you. No, lovely to chat with you. I love the setup. It looks like you could be in Venice, California, instead of, uh, you know, what most people think of England. Very, very modern, very clean. I love it. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's very bright. We're waiting for it to um, get a bit too bright, but we won't worry, worry about the weather. That's very British to mention the weather, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I love it. Um, so I'm fascinated by your background for several reasons, because I love the shop. You know, one of my first jobs, like in high school, was working for the limited brands. I was uh, a stock boy, stocking shelves and whatnot. So that was a lot of fun. And like I said, I love the shop. Um, I love retail. I love the high street culture in the UK. And you're also a futurist. So you're really combining, you know, retail and trying to figure out where the world is going, which I find really interesting. So I want to ask you, first off, how do you become a futurist? Okay. So that's a great question. So do you know what? I, it, it's a really interesting one because I'm going to show my age now, but when I was studying and when I was thinking about what I wanted to do for a career, um, the word trend didn't exist. Like no one was talking about trends or trend forecasting. It was a really different time. So I think I just um, almost like, sort of just gradually kind of like what I was doing evolved into that, if it even makes sense. So um, I just knew I was always interested in um, where things were heading. I was super interested in retail design, really interested in consumer um, kind of sentiment, consumer insights as well. And I think over the years, then that sort of then started to blend more into actually if you're in that sort of space, then you're looking more at futures. But it certainly wasn't... um, something when I was kind of studying that was even around so yeah no I think it's um and there's also like blowback too right like some people are like oh you're a futurist like you're predicting like you know there's some kind of almost like snobbery around it I'm sure there's always pushback because uh you know how can we actually know where we're going so how do you overcome that and like especially working with clients or customers trying to figure out or explaining especially potential clients hey this is where the world's going you should be a part of it Yeah, so I've always, um, there's no end of quotes that I love around just actually, you know, you should always look at um, consumer sentiment, you should always start with the customer, because that's going to be the thing that tells you what's really coming, and what's really ahead. So, you know, obviously, now people are really thinking, you know, what's happening, post pandemic, where are we heading to now, you know, and, and I think that all of the clues lie in how we're all feeling and how actually, you know, our mindsets have shifted and, and actually what we're now craving, what we've missed, the things we've realised we can do without. For me, they're all the signs of what's to come, much more so than if you were to think more notionally. I think I think that's always, you know, a better foundation. And there's always that wonderful William Gibson quote that I think Greg mentioned the other day around, you know, the future's already here. It's just not like <laughs> it is. I think that's wonderful because, you know, what I do in my role is I'm forever looking at benchmarking and best practice. So, you know, if I'm working with a beauty client in the beauty industry, I'll show them something in automotive and be like, you know, actually, 
we should be looking at this because this is really where things are heading for whatever reason. And I think there's always going to be brands that are slightly leading the way. So I think um, that's always a good sign of what's to come as well. Yeah, I love one of my favorite quotes is from uh, Henry Ford, you know, growing up in Detroit around the, the auto industry. And he talked about introducing the Model T. And, you know, it's always it's a reflection about, you know, really trying to understand like what the consumer wants or sometimes the consumer doesn't really know. And his quote was, you know, if I asked my customer what they wanted, they would have said, I want a faster horse. Like they couldn't envision a car, what that means. How do you wrestle with, you know, what consumers say versus what they really mean or what they're really doing? Because um, sometimes the consumer doesn't really know what they want. They really don't. And I've got some really funny anecdotes. So um, I was doing a branch of the future study for a bank that I will not name um, a few years ago. And we did some wonderful focus groups where we were behind the kind of two way mirror. They couldn't see that we were watching in, but um, they were being asked um, a really simple question. It was something um, going back years now, but maybe it was like 2012. And um, the person moderating said, come on, it's 2020. Like, imagine <laughs> you know what will we all be doing what will we want banks to be in 2020 and they all fell silent for a moment and they started saying things like i'd be able to park right outside <laughs> <laughs> and then they were saying things like i could cash my check in less than five days and everyone was just thinking this was amazing and we were like mm, maybe you don't ask the customer these questions because it's sort of like they'll only really be able to tell you just things in their immediate frame of reference. I think, um, yeah, it's always tricky ground, but I just remember us sort of sitting behind the two-way mirror drawing a multi-storey car park with a bank on the top saying, this is what they want. <laughs> <laughs> As like somebody who's like studying consumer retail in the future, we're, like, where do you look for inspiration? And I'm always, like, for me, I'm always curious, like, you know, certain cities are cooler, they just, you know, set the trends, or how, like, what is that ecosystem that really matters? Or is it even explainable? Is it just something, it's just, just some kind of magic that happens? Uh, do you know, it's really, it is an interesting one. And um, for about a decade, I was commissioned by, um, it was Procter & Gamble to um, look at trends in the beauty industry. And um, every six months, they sent me to a different city. Um, and it was a, you know, great gig, like literally, you know, went to Rio, went to Singapore, went to Tokyo, went to all these places. And the idea was to trend spot. The idea was to literally be on the ground in these cities, looking at what was happening in retail, but then looking more broadly as well at the same time and it really gave me a really lovely steer as to which cities in the world actually are ahead of one another you know in terms of sort of doing new things first so um, you know it was quite an interesting one definitely New York you know it, absolutely from a retail point of view was always just really ahead of the game certainly in beauty retailing and um, I remember Tokyo was always really fascinating just a very different pace <laughs> you know and, and it was always a really good like benchmark to then always we would always do the study of the city we went to but we would always then do London as a bit of a barometer and a sense check around actually how does that compare and um, it was just yeah it was interesting to kind of note the changes so those are yeah there's and you're obviously working with PNG this will be you'll probably understand this expression um, those are very highfalutin cities right or they're very kind of global yeah. cities. And then in the US, we've got an expression, you know, will this work in Columbus, Ohio, or will this work in Springfield, Illinois? Um, is there a similar, 
there must be a high low kind of situation too. Like London's obviously not uh, Newcastle, right? So yeah. how do you wrestle yeah. with that? No, definitely. And I think, you know, certainly there's also that kind of microcosm thing going on between the different cities in the UK as well. So we would always kind of um, travel to the likes of, like say, Newcastle or Manchester. And, and different cities would be leading the way in different things, I find. You know, Manchester's got a really wonderful um, scene in terms of like department stores. I think what they've done in Manchester's fascinating where they've done sort of the smaller Harvard Nichols, the smaller Selfridges and kind of that more curated sort of edited um, approach to shopping. I think they've, they've really nailed that in that city really nicely. So um, I think, and also the culture of different cities comes into play, you know, um, some cities for me, you know, really have a very different vibe, don't they? Yeah, I know there's certain cities, um, you know, I think of like, for me, it's like Los Angeles, like when you land at LAX, like you just know you're in LA, right? You're just like, yeah. this is not Toledo, Ohio. This is not New York. It's not Paris. Um, and there's something special about these cities that really even though there's a lot more unique, there's a lot more brands, obviously, like you can find a Nike or a Louis Vuitton or Gucci and all these various super cities, but um, LA, Manchester, they do have different vibes, which I think is really important to capture. Yeah, I think so. I think one of the retailers I adore for um, trying to be quite locally relevant, I think that's one of the things we're going to see more and more of, um, is Aesop, the um, skincare and beauty brand. Um, they just, in every single new location they go to, they use the materials that are local to that um, space. So, for example, their store, I think they've got a beautiful store in Nottingham, which isn't far from me, and they, you know, they've gone into a really old kind of historical building and they've reclaimed brickwork and they've kind of like tried to use very traditional um, techniques in how they've built the space and it's really different to anywhere you would go to in any other city and I think um, I'd love to see more brands I know it's hard I know it's a tricky <laughs> for brands, but I'd love to see so many more like really trying to bring that kind of like cultural local relevance and nuances to play would be really good. Yeah, no, that's, um, there's a, one of my favorite books. It's called The McDonaldization of America. And it was written by a professor at the University of Maryland. And he's basically saying, you know, and I found this, like I've traveled pretty extensively around the U.S. And, you know, you'll find the same stores, the same experiences. And there's a lot of homogeneous, you know, kind of qualities. And when you expand a brand, you have to do that. Um, but we're losing, I feel like, a little bit of our soul. And I find when I travel in Europe, um, European cities have done just a much better job. I don't know, maybe it's just nostalgia, you know, but just trying to capture your, the uniqueness of locality is super important. Yeah, and I think we just, I really hope, I think it's perhaps my hope as much as my prediction that I think, you know, coming into a post-pandemic world and just everyone just having that moment of reflection, you know, retail's been closed for the first time. I mean, when has retail ever been closed in the history of, <laughs> you know, and when things start to reopen and people start to really question what it is that they're doing moving forwards, I really hope that more retailers will bring that more thoughtful approach to, you know, the localities that they're going into and, and just to reward people for their travel. I think, you know, there's nothing worse is that <laughs> traveling all the way to Tokyo and being on a high street over there and thinking, you know, if it wasn't for the signage right now, I could actually be somewhere else. Like it just, you know, it's, as you say, the homogenization of the cookie cutter style 
design that you see, you know, everywhere. It sort of um, it takes away the spirit of, of where you actually travel to. Yeah, no, I think um, traveling from, say, D.C. to London to shop at Gucci, you know, you're like, there's a Gucci store in our hometown. But anyways, let's yeah. pivot to where you are now. So you, you've started a new company, The Future Collective, and you just hosted a great conference, Design for Better, which is behind oh, yeah. you. Um, which is great. Um, I wanted to, first, you can talk about, we'll finish up talking about the future collective, but your presentation at Design for Better uses great for, phrase called enlightened experiences, which I really loved. And this idea of kind of the cherry blossom experience, you know, in DC, we're about to have the cherry blossoms pop in a few weeks and, you know, they're magical, but they only last for, you know, five, 10 days and a good rainstorm will wash them away. Can you talk about the idea of an enlightened experience and really, whether it's retail or office space or any kind of communal gathering, thinking about making it special. Absolutely. So it's funny because this was an idea that was bubbling away in my mind um, before the pandemic hit, actually. I started to, um, so obviously I work in retail design, I see so many retail briefs and um, every single retail brief was asking us to create Instagrammable moments. Right. And I started to question it. I started to think, you know, is the ambition to create this physical space purely to think about through the lens of the camera <laughs> that then will be shared to people that haven't even been there? And I started to think, is there not an argument for the brief being about what is it that we can design in the physical experiential space that can't necessarily be captured on camera in the same way you couldn't just think you know I don't need to bother going to that store I can just look at it on my Instagram feed or read about it in a different way on a blog or whatever it might be and um, I, I was reading a wonderful quote um, I forget the guy's name but he literally likened you know luxury experiences he was talking about saying shall we just think about them in a different way shall we think about them as these perishable moments rather than Instagrammable um, they're moments that actually you know you, you saw them or you didn't you know they're never going to be repeated and for those that actually bothered to go the, the reward in being there in the here and now is really strong and I think you know it's a really interesting concept for, for brands and retailers to think about is um, creating that sort of rarity that scarcity rarity reward all those kind of things I think could be really important yeah no, I mean I'm a huge fan of that obviously you know the whole ethos behind Brigadoon, for example, you know, it's a mystical place, the moment in time, um, all the events we do generally, um, we don't, we don't record them and you have to be in the room, which is horrible from a marketing experience, maybe because you can't share it, but it puts a premium on saying you have to be in the room to kind of experience this and it makes it special. So I'm interested to see how that plays out. Yeah, and I think I remember David Hyatt talking about um, that the other day, wasn't he? He was saying he wanted to go to the Patagonia talk and was saying, well, you know, can I just watch it another time? And they were saying, well, actually, no. <laughs> and I remember him saying that was the same with some of his do lecture stuff is, you know, you really do actually reward people for being there. I think. Yeah, um, no, and I think, um, and that's going to be a tough sell because obviously, you know, brands are trying to scale up and you're making investments and it can't be an easy thing for, companies to recognize but I love that idea about that's where we're going yeah I do too and I think you know 
we've, we've craved physical experiences so much, haven't we? You know, we've all been locked in the four walls of our home for far too long. And I think actually, you know, when we, when we step back out and we're able to experience things again, I think, you know, there's going to be an element of um, just, you know, what could we play with in that space that could be really rewarding for people? I want to talk to you about kind of the full uh, sensory experience. You know, I'm a huge fan of Thomas Pink. I haven't worn a Thomas Pink shirt in a year. I'm not sure I ever will again. <laughs> but um, I think about when I go into a Thomas Pink store, it smells amazing. And clearly, you know, that, that's very intentional. And can you talk about, though, like obviously making it the full sensory experience, how that's going to be more important going forward as well? Yeah, I think so. I think um, for a long time now, um, you know, design has been, um, to a lot of people, it's just been a very aesthetic concern. You know, we've thought about colours and we've thought about finishes and we've thought about all those things. We've thought about lighting. But actually, um, in recent times, we've started to think about some of the other things, like whether it's the tactility of a space or whether it's the sound or the smell or the other things that you can experience. And without a store becoming too Disney-esque, because I'm not a massive fan of <laughs> it so far that it just feels a bit contrived, um, I do think there's something really lovely about playing with um, some of those moments in time so within a customer journey, you know, whether it's in the fitting room, if you can hear like the faint bird song or something that they do in the hunter store so well, or if it's, you know, I think I've referenced before, but the the on store in New York talking about, you know, actually they're trying to recreate this sense of the Swiss Alps, which I just thought was fantastic. Yeah, I love that. Um, you know, it just it's, I just think there's things that people could do um, that could be quite playful. And again, become a talking point. I always think sometimes it's the really little details that people describe to one another. They'll like tell their friends about or they'll kind of share an experience online. Now, the small details. Um, yeah, you were talking about even like changing rooms or, you know, fitting rooms. I think about even going to, uh, you know, the water closet. Like, why not make that like an interesting experience? Sometimes um, it's like an afterthought, but it should be the entire journey whether you're at a restaurant, a retail store, a hotel, um, thinking about the end-to-end -end experience is super important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think there's all kinds of statistics around, um, I think smell, it's funny you should mention smell because I think people are saying that that's one of the things that evoke, evokes memories the strongest of anything that you can do. So if you could like create that proper signature within, within a store environment, it's a really powerful thing for people. It does make them you know remember things no the smell i don't know maybe um, uh, i don't know what the right word is but i think about like the encore hotel in vegas like that smells yeah. great um soul cycle you know the, the spinning studios they've got a, a signature scent um yeah it's super powerful let's talk about what's interesting obviously we haven't been shopping as much and um there's the aspect of being in real life you know in stores how is e-commerce playing into all this and thinking about being good both online and offline and also deliveries becoming more and more important. I mean, do you see a trend where, how do you extend the brand to having packages land on your doorstep? I know this is an interesting one. Matt always talks about, um, you know, sort of like people in retail worrying about all these other details, but then forgetting about <laughs> packages get flung in the bin outside your door. And actually that final mile, that final, you know, moment is actually really important. And a lot of retailers do actually forget that. And I think, 
you know, we've we've all loved it, haven't we, when something arrives and it's actually really beautiful to open or there's just something really considered about the packaging and the way that it all unfolds. And I, I just think not enough people put enough thought into um, that element of things. And obviously with us shopping in that way more and more, it's such a missed opportunity. So tell me about, before we close up, I want to hear, hear about the Future Collective. You've jumped full for into being an entrepreneur as, a, as well as, you know, yeah. trying to stay on, on top of what's going on in the world. How is the entrepreneurial experience going? How's the Future Collective playing out? Do you know, it's a funny one. Um, so I don't think that I thought earlier on in my career that I ever thought I would kind of be, you know, the owner of a company of, of this sort of <laughs> and what we were doing. It's more that I kind of um, saw something I wanted to change if that makes sense. So sort of like um, working in the industry, working in the design industry for about 25 years, um, freelancing as well as kind of like being somewhere permanent for 20 years. Um, I, there were just a lot of things that I thought that you could do in a different way. And, um, you know, and, and it's funny because it was pre-pandemic. We, Matt and I, the first thing we questioned was, do you need an office? Do you need, do you need that big head office? And then yeah. The overhead to people and and then we started to question around you know do you need lots of permanent members of staff because actually every brief is different and the freelance community is amazing like people don't make enough of, of that I think in my mind like, the truly truly brilliant people have gone freelance and um, in a lot of people's mind there's like a stigma attached to it but actually they're <laughs> And so all of these sort of things started to connect in our heads and we thought, well, you know, could we bring all of these things together? And then all of a sudden I found myself sort of like, okay, well, that's what we're doing. And, and, and actually it's really, you know, it's gone bananas. But I think, <laughs> um, you know, in a funny kind of way, the silver lining of the pandemic is... Um, it's a funny one because before the pandemic, people were saying, oh, you know, don't you need to be in the same office to work in that way? Or you need to be around a table to come up with creative ideas. And then along came the pandemic and, and nobody obviously ever, <laughs> ever asked those things ever again. And we're all on, you know, Zoom or Google Meet or whatever it might be all day. And, and actually the world's still turning. And I think, you know, people are realising that actually they quite like working in their own space. That was certainly my view. You know, I realised a few years ago I do my best work when I'm not in an office environment. Either <laughs> being distracted for five minutes, getting drawn into stuff, you know. And I think a lot of people are seeing it as a whole new way. But it's certainly like um, I'm really enjoying being an entrepreneur. I kind of feel like I'm getting in my stride with it now and I think you know I've learned a lot from um, you know actually talking to other founders like yourself like you know other people that actually um, you know have been doing it for a while there's so much to learn from people that are kind of ahead in terms of what they're doing so no I love it um, all right before we close out I'm gonna do a speed round three questions okay what's a brand we should be paying attention to a brand we should be paying attention to so I think I think we should be paying attention to some of the bigger brands. Um, so, for example, Futura, who um, they own the Body Shop, they own Aesop. They've gone B Corp recently, and I think we should okay. pay attention to um, B Corp's an easy thing to do when you're a startup and you haven't got the backstory behind you and you don't have all these things that you need to rectify. 
But I think it's interesting to watch some of the bigger players managing to um, to go down that route and to um, make a pledge, I guess, doing things in a better way. Favorite place to shop? Like, what's a great high street or a great kind of shopping neighborhood that we should all check out? Oh, there's so many. <laughs> where's your go-to? Where's your like? You don't want to tell anybody else where you got a great pair of shoes I, or something. <laughs> I'm always going to have a place in my heart for New York for shopping, and you know whether that's Soho or meatpacking or you know there's just so many different places I love, but. I just, I actually can't wait to, to, to go back and do that one day. And I think it's, for me, it's, you know, it's it's stores like, um, I don't know, Dover Street Market or Mercy in Paris or some of the ones that are more almost like a market in style. I just love those ones that are more about discovery. So, no, I love it. They just actually lifted the restriction in April 1 for even Americans to visit New York. So I plan to be there on April 2nd. <laughs> um, before we go, Great place for a cocktail. Great place for a cocktail. Oh my goodness me. Not Leicester. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's got to be somewhere in London. Before we go, how can people find you on the interwebs? What's the best place to find Kate Shepherd? So futurecollective.co.uk is our website. So there's a hyphen in, in between future and collective. And um, yeah, on LinkedIn, Kate Shepherd on LinkedIn. I love it. Kate, thank you so much. Maybe I'll take you for a cocktail in New York. The Bellman's yeah. Bar could be a good place, Upper East Side. We can have a uh, nice conversation, a cocktail there, hopefully soon. It's good, yeah. Oh, All right, Kate, bye. thanks a lot. Bye. Thanks for listening to Brigadoon Radio. Brigadoon is where entrepreneurs and thought leaders gather. For more information, please visit thebrigadoon.com.